We're speeding? All right, I'm going to do a soft intro to turn to you. Okay. Where do I look? Just hit me. Okay. Uh, up, if you want to be awkward, that'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are rolling into another episode of The Candace Owens Show, and I am so honored to be sitting across from a congressman who I genuinely believe, go back and watch my interviews, and people ask me, who do you think is going all the way? Who do you think uh, could run for POTUS in 2024? I always say... Dan Crenshaw, welcome to the Candace Owens Show. It's great to be here. I'm glad we finally got to do this. Yeah, so here's my here's my thing. I think you're the one that goes all the way. Here's why. And I say you're the oh, yeah. one as if there's like some weird competition going on. But um, I think you have this ability to strike a balance between being a super authentic, genuine person, not sort of feeding to the far left or the far right and being really practical. You have the experience, but you also understand the importance of culture and you don't stick your nose up to it. And I find that a lot of people on the right tend to say, oh, we're too, we're too good for that. You know, we don't do this. Where you will explain things on your Instagram in a way that just makes sense for a generation that is seized by social media. I didn't know this uh, conversation was going to start out with so many compliments. I appreciate that. We could just let's keep going this way. Just keep going, yeah. Uh, I appreciate that. You know, I don't think that's. I don't think it's that conservatives, uh, especially my colleagues, don't want to engage in culture wars. It's just that this is an our generation thing. Mm. They didn't have to back in the back in the eighties and nineties and even early two thousands. Those those there were culture wars back then, but not to the extent that it is now. And it has many fronts. Okay, and I think the biggest front is whether America is inherently good or bad. I mean, that's a really fundamental question. Right. We didn't used to argue about that. If you look like back to the progressive era under Woodrow Wilson and everything they believed in was really bad. Okay, it was the, down with the constitution, uh, statism, uh, you know, completely centralized control of the economy, all of that. But there was also a really deep love for America. It's like red, white, and blue, and you better love America. Like that was the old progressivism and it's really morphed into something else because they, they no longer have a use for it. That's the difference, okay? And, and I think and a lot of my, uh, I think a lot of older Republicans don't even realize, don't even understand why we're fighting that war. And right. It's, why would they? Right. It's ridiculous. So you kind of dodged uh, my implication here. Will you run for president <laughs> of the United States? I'm good. Okay. Yeah. I stay focused. You what? can't. You can't do this with me. I stay in the game. It's like I'll do what I did, did to Joe Rogan. He was asking me tough questions. I'm like the the. The earpiece stopped working. I can't <laughs> understand. I mean, I have no, I mean, to answer your question, I just have like no idea. And I'm focused on the, you know, my next election. Uh, I'm not in a slam dunk 20 point Republican district by any means. Like I, I got to work at this and, um, you know, and, and, and I, I don't really cater to things I don't believe in either, you know, to, to your, to, to your point. Like I don't, I don't, I don't just throw out red meat talking points either. But I will never agree with with leftist talking points just to make them like me better. Right. And so, you know, I, I've got to work on this. Um, a lot can happen in politics. It, the, the the truth of moving up in politics is it's opportunistic. Like you, you have to you have to look for windows of opportunity, see where the public is at. Right. They're the ones who decide in the end. You know, it's like people want you to do something. Yeah, go ahead and do it. Uh, but it's not clear that that will ever happen. <laughs> Here's what I'll say. This is something that you definitely do not prescribe to outrage culture. Yeah. I think this is actually, and, and you're right, we are now playing the Crenshaw compliment game, but I'm done. I'm going to insult you the rest of the time here. Um, but you, <laughs> That'll be fun too. You, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you do, you take, a lot of times people are looking for that red meat, looking for something to be upset about, right? And I thought yeah. it was so commendable. And obviously this ended up being sort of the thing that really put your name out there. And, and I mean that in, as a compliment, obviously, um, that Saturday Night Live moment where you where you had uh, I, I, Pete something, please don't kill me. I, uh, Davidson. 
Pete Davidson, yep. yeah, who sort of said something that really wasn't that funny. A lot of people in America were offended by it, people that, yeah. you know, send their sons overseas. And you you did this amazing thing and said, you know what, like, let me come on the show. And it was sort of this thing that both sides were able to laugh at and appreciate. And it kind of quieted the noise around something that would yeah. have just been outrage, outrage, outrage. Yeah. So what, were, like yeah, what was your thought did. process? You um, roasted him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, outrage. I'm writing a book on outrage culture right oh, now. Oh, are you? Yeah, yeah. When's it going to so, be out? Uh, maybe April. We're going to be competing. We are. Yeah, we are. Is it the same book? I'll see you on the charts. Yeah. So mine's more of a self-help book. Like, so I think it'll be very complimentary right. to whatever. Well, y yours is coming out. Yeah, that's right. And and I'm going to buy it definitely. Um, and it, it's more of a self-help book. Um, but I want to answer your question first, and so, and then we can. I'm happy to talk about my book and promote that. <laughs> and so, um, the, the the thing about Saturday Night Live. And, and that entire thing was, it, it was really a perfect storm. And I wish we could replicate that moment more because it's not like it's the last time I was insulted really badly. Um, it's just that, it's just that there was a, there was a perfect storm of events, right? They showed, they showed some uh, sense of apology and I was allowing me to show grace and then allowing them to like invite me on. Right. Right. So imagine it a little bit differently, right? Imagine they did what they did. Um, maybe they know they made a mistake, whatever it is. We'll actually never know whether he misread it or whether that was scripted. It's, it's really hard to say. It doesn't really matter. The next day, let's assume I do it a different way. Let's say let's say that I really hammer them on social media and just mm. go back at them. Oh, you hate veterans. This is the left. This is what they do. They really hate us. Look at that. How could they have invited me on? Right. right? They couldn't have, right? Because because I would have created that, that, that line in the sand. Um, you know, so I gave them that space and then they gave me more space, right? And then you will, and then you will kind of allow yourselves to come together. The problem is a lot of times is, um, when, when people say bad things these days, they don't apologize because there's not a lot of incentive to apologize. This is part of outrage culture, right? It's like a, it's like a, it's a wrong approach to the way we view shame. Right. You know, we, we, we forgot what a proper sense of shame actually looks like. And so we're like between these two extremes where, where you either bow down to outrage culture, like, you know, let's, uh, let's like Mario Lopez, right? Yeah. Like just like just got destroyed, said yeah. something totally reasonable and just was like, oh, <laughs> felt, my God. Like so bad. I, <laughs> like, so bad. I mean, yeah. it was horrible so, what happened so, to him. So that's that, right? And then like the other extreme is like Queen Cersei from Game of Thrones. Like no shame, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. like just, she just like kills everybody, and like she's literally they're, they're they're sending her through the streets and throwing vegetables. She's like, I don't care, I just hate you guys. Right. Never apologize. And you see that, so it's an extreme example, obviously, and we don't have Game of Thrones quite right. yet in this day and age. But you see that a lot, and on both sides, where it's like I'm not even going to apologize, right? You know, because there's no there's no benefit. To there's it. no benefit, and actually, right. I think I find myself in that predicament sometimes too, because yeah. if, if you misspeak and they say apologize or delete the tweet, they're not actually saying for you to apologize and delete, delete the tweet because they want to have a conversation. Or they're not going to be on. like, okay, well, at least you did that, right? They they're just want they want you. They want to then say, see, I told you that, and then they can mm -hmm. permanently brand you as something, and that's exactly right. So it puts yeah. people where I would normally be reasonable and say, you know what, I actually kind of misspoke there. I wish I had phrased that tweet a little bit differently. Yeah. They don't give you that ability to sort of be a person. Right. Yeah. Or, or, or to want to amend things because they're 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 just out to get you. Ha ha. See, we made you yep. get on your knees for outrage culture. It's, so I, I it's funny because I, I see myself in that predicament. And, and what happened to you um, was a unique situation that I think we should all on the left and the right benefit from. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like that's actually an entire chapter in my book is like develop a sense of shame. And like so in this, this is the politics of ourselves. And it's also the book is actually about how to be mentally tough, mm -hmm. you know. And so that's why this one chapter is like to be. 
to to act properly in this life, like you need to have a sense of shame. You need to feel bad about the little things that happen. Uh, you need to feel bad about leaving your tray of food at a fast food restaurant when you when you when you know that there's actually no waiters there. People do that. Like there's a trash can. Go put it there. I mean, really simple stuff. Like when you, you know, I mean, you should feel bad. It doesn't mean you're always perfect. Like we're all, we're all not great people. We're not, we're, we're not perfect. And I wouldn't claim that I am, but I at least know what I'm supposed to feel bad about. Right. right? And like, I should feel bad if I overreact. Mm -hmm. I should feel bad if I attack somebody on social media um, when I know really well that I would not talk to them that way in person. Right. You know, and I've made that mistake. Right. And, and like, and somebody, I remember this, somebody called me out on it. This was before I was even in politics. And I was like, I felt terrible and I should. <laughs> I was like, you're right. You know, and I'm, and I say that to people like you wouldn't talk to me that way in person. So what right. are you doing? You know, like, like guys, just everybody chill for right. a little bit and, and learn how to speak to each other again. There's like a sense of politeness that we've lost. Right. And I, I think social media definitely makes it harder and easier. And I talk about a lot of how it's impacting children even where it's just so easy to be mean and say things because yeah. you don't feel anything if you're not looking at somebody in the eye, right? If you can say, Kansas is a house Negro, Kansas is this and that all, all day online. But would you yeah. have the stomach to say that to somebody's face? Right. Is really the question. Yeah. When you humanize them, you right. know, and it's, it's uh, social media has become basically everybody in angry traffic. Right. You know, because, you know, somebody cuts you off and you probably say some things, you right. know, in your car because they can't hear you. And then you drive up next to them and it's like a, a mom with like a screaming kid in the back. And you're like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, I you totally had that feel bad before. now. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and that's that's social media, right? You dehumanize each other. Um, you know, social media has a lot of benefits to it. There's a lot of amazing things it's done for our society and culture, uh, it has some real dangers to it. Right. And, um, Part of the danger is not being able to grow on social media. And I always say, I'm so happy that I was in high school just at when, when social media began, right? So I got yeah. into high school and Facebook had just started. So I was kind of allowed to be a kid. I was allowed to try out being a really yeah. crappy human being, saying some things I regretted, seeing someone's face scrunch up and then saying, oh, you know what? I didn't like being mean. So maybe yeah. I'm, I'm not going to call you fat and run away, <laughs> yeah. right? But nowadays they get to try out being me on the internet and the internet's forever. Right. So now yeah. we can go back 70 years and say, you said this oh, on this day. Worst. Right. And, yeah. and it's and I think that that's contributing to, um, you know, children that are, are saying that they have suicidal thoughts. They feel like they, they actually aren't allowed to grow. And part of growing yeah. is experimenting both with being a great person and being a bad person and deciding who you want to be. And we've kind of removed that. Social media has sort of removed that. So I think it's incredibly hard to be a kid, this kid these days. Yeah. It's also, it's also removed our communication abilities. So, so I guess I got Facebook around junior or senior year of college and like, I'm a millennial still, but I'm like an elder millennial. Yeah. And so old millennial. I, yeah, we're yeah. old gray millennials. <laughs> um, I don't think I'm gray. No, no, you're not gray yet. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, although I wouldn't mind a little bit. It's like, it's a, nice. it's a bit distinguishing. In, it's a, it's, yeah, it's distinguishing, mm. you know? Um, because I'm not willing to wear my glasses a lot, so some gray hair would be nice. But anyway, what was I talking about? So the it, it inhibits our, our communication ability. Like, so I grew up in high school where, like, if if I had a friend or a girl I liked, I had to call them, and then their parents answered, and then you have to like talk to their parents. So you like learn this sort of social interaction mm. that our kids these days are not right because they have no need to call on a landline. I don't think they, they even most people don't even have landlines. They have cell phones, and then they text first. And it's like really unusual that anybody calls each other anymore. And hell, it's unusual that I even call anybody anymore, but at least I did it for a while. Like I know right. how to have that conversation. Um, and, and I worry a lot about people not having that ability anymore. And it just, it's, there's a lot of good science on this, a lot of good psychological data that 
Um, I'm just finishing up Jonathan Haidt's book on coddling of the American mind. It's a really great read if you're trying to understand what Gen Z is going through. Right. And, and like what the changes in their brains are. And it, it's significant and it's, it's kind of dangerous. Right. Uh, and it's, it, it's we, we should all be a little worried about it. It's not clear what to do about it except to, you know, try and help them grow up the way we did where we, we were eased into the social media world. Right. And, and I don't know how to do that. It's kind of up to the parents. It's hard. But, I honestly, I've given a lot of thought to it, and I don't know either. I genuinely, I can't think of what the actual remedy is to get these people to be to be stand up human beings and to know how to be face to face human beings. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's that's also one of the things that's a big I think draw for you is that you come across as such a man. You know, I mean, like, Again, did you ever think this iPad should work out for you? So cool. Like, it's, it's so cool. It's a thing now. It's like, yeah. it's like this cool accessory <laughs> and like everybody wants one now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh my God. The poor guy who makes this for me. Um, <laughs> he's just, he's getting destroyed. Is he? Yeah. Well, you know, he's, he's a, he, he's an amazing artist, right? Yeah. He does, he does not just, this is, this is this basic black one that he does, but there's, um, I mean, he does all these cool custom ones, and I, I, I've showcased a few of those over over time. But um, like, I advertised, I advertised where I got because so many people would ask me, like, where do you get these patches from? And I, right. I actually won't say the website right now <laughs> because he's slammed. Right, he can't make anymore. Wow, um, he's just one guy, and he's just the most amazing guy. And uh, he's, he's just trying to make some more. So if you're out there listening and you're wondering why your eye patch hasn't come in, please give him a break. Give like him he's, some time. He's, he's doing his best. He's being inundated he's, he's, because he's, Crenshaw he's, somehow made eye patches cool. Yeah, like no one yeah. saw that coming. It's uh, it's completely overwhelmed. No, I mean, so uh, it was always exciting to be able to wear eye patches after I lost my eye. I mean, you know, we make the, we're the seals. So we make the best of things. We have a saying. It's called adapt and overcome. And um, the, the combination of getting to wear eye patches and cool glass eyes, you know, kind of makes it all better. It's almost like I don't even want my eye back. Right. <laughs> <Like it's, laughs> Yeah. It's part of the yeah, brand now. Because if I'm not wearing an eye patch, I get to wear whatever other eye. I, I, it suits me that day. It's usually the trident eye. Um, and I've, I've, I've showcased that one quite a few times. But it's like I have gold. I have a few of them, a few different colors, like gold tridents in there. The, the trident is this, the seal pin that we wear. Um, it's, it's our symbol. Um, I've also got a, quite a few other crazy. What was, what was that period like adjusting to losing your eye? Like, I mean, what what it, it couldn't have just been like. I mean, you kind of you did go back into the military. I remember watching mm -hmm. you speak. You actually did go back, but mm -hmm. I, there had to have been. What was there some period where it was emotional and shocking, and oh my goodness, and and where do I go from here? What was that yeah. low period? Because I think that that's something that people need to know. Because you kind of seem like kind of yeah. There, there's a, quite a few low periods. You're so, yeah, you're so you're just <laughs> um, so tough. So tough. Yeah, I want to see so you cry. Tough. Yeah. Um, I don't even know how. I yeah. can't. You know, it's <laughs> like they removed my ability. Um, <laughs> So, no, uh, cry when I think of my little puppies. Right. You know, <laughs> puppies make me cry. Um, I'm just kidding. They make me happy. Right. Why would they make me cry? They're so cute. I know. So, here's how this happened. Like, I, I, I got blown up. Okay, that sucked. And um, I wasn't unconscious. I remember the whole thing. Uh, I was blind. I didn't realize why I was blind. So I assumed... You weren't unconscious. No, no. I was, it was, I was knocked to the ground really fast. Um, so basically, about the distance we're at right now, my, my, uh, one of our Afghan interpreters stepped on my AED. Um, he got blown up, lost all four limbs right away, and he, he, he later died. That blast hit me front, full frontal. And so just my entire front side of my body was actually much worse from the head down. Um, than even my face. My face looks, I have one picture of it. I mean, it looks like I got hit with about three different shotguns to, really? to my face. Um, 
but I wasn't unconscious, right? So it was, it was mostly a fragmentation blast, like a fragmentation inju- injury, you know? So it wasn't um, like a concussion hurt. I definitely had some kind of traumatic brain injury, but I don't, I don't feel like I have symptoms of that too much. Um, Seem pretty sharp to since, me. Since, since, yeah, super sharp. I love this. This is like, you said you were going to start insulting me, but it just hasn't. It's coming. Happened. Just you wait. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and so I was able to actually get up and, and walk to the medevac helicopter from there, but I couldn't see. I just I just thought that I couldn't see because I had dirt in my eyes. Mm. I honestly thought that. It didn't make any sense. And then when I woke up five days later because they put me into a coma because um, I was really messed up. <laughs> uh, I woke up five days later in Germany. And again, they told me like my right eye was gone. Probably wouldn't see out of my left eye, but maybe I would. And I just didn't believe them. I'd be like, okay, so I will. So they're saying there's a chance. Okay, there's a chance. <laughs> yeah. that, that was that was literally the attitude. It was it was delusional. Mm-hmm. It was not real. But nece- necessary delusion, <laughs> It was necessary, I think, yeah. right. It was like God gave me the strength to be delusional. And in mm-hmm. hindsight, I think that's what happened. Um, I was I was hallucinating. All I would see around me was because my optic nerves were still firing. So I would see Afghanistan, and I would see that for a week at wow. least. And then I would, if I if I did fall asleep, which was very rare, I would wake up in that dream. So I know I was awake, but I would be seeing whatever I was dreaming about. And it was so it was, I was literally in a nightmare. Wow! I was literally living in a so nightmare. That so happens that, when that your was, optic nerves get hit. Um. That's a bit, that's Sometimes, yeah. If you're, if, if, for some people, I guess, um, if you're, if you're traumatic blind, blindness like that, right. um, your optic nerve is still trying to figure out what's going on, and so you're just kind of, it's just kind of like telling your brain something different, like because your brain is trying to see. Uh, I, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't think that's a scientific explanation, good but to me. that's, that's no. basically what I'm happened. I'm a scientist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> basically, I, I had a minor in physics in school, yeah. so I'm basically a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> like, I did math once, so, um, and so. That, that was the worst. I mean, because I also couldn't move very well. My body, you know, again, I walked away from the blast, but the, but then I would, but then the pain set in and then everything, mm. all the injuries actually set in and like couldn't move very well. That was, that was a really crappy time. Not going to lie. How long? Uh, a, a, at least a few weeks to a month of just really bedridden kind of, and then multiple surgeries, just trying to bring back the site, seeing what happens. And you were married at this time? Uh, no, no, uh, fiance. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so Tara with me now, with me then, um, you know, she was, she was by my side and it was, uh, you know, family coming in a lot of seals came in just to visit and, and, uh, you know, making appropriate jokes. Like this is, let me give you an example of the seal teams. Like the day I got to the hospital from Afghanistan, they're like, so it's cool if we start making fun of you online for being like a (laughs) dumb pirate. Right. (laughs) They're like. And I'm like, yeah, sure, guys, whatever. <laughs> like, it was just, I love that. Yeah. I was like, okay, great, okay, yeah. I'll just post that right now. Like, right. A picture of you, and like, ah, look at this loser. <laughs> like, you need that. You you need that though, oh right? God. Yeah, yeah. I'll, Laughter I'll, is always we, the best medicine. We have we have a really interesting sense of humor in the teams. Uh, I told the story to when I did the Washington Press Club stand up comedy thing, which was the whole interesting thing in and of itself. But one of the jokes I told to try and help people understand seal humor I was like, okay, let me explain it this way. I know a guy and he's got a tattoo on his side and it's a memorial tattoo, like, and it's rest in peace from his best friend. His best friend is not dead. (laughs) It's just like, it's like, wow, that's really dark. And so that's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's really funny. That's the kind of people we deal with. Wow. Um, And so, so that happened. I, I was, we had a miracle surgery to get the cataract removed. And then, and then my retina was pretty much um, it's called a, dema- a macular degeneration. So that was happening. I had another miracle surgery to stop that from happening. 
eventually started to see more and more again. And, and then, and so that was coming out of that recovery. But then like, you know, the next dark period was like, how do I get my career back? Right. Cause I'm trying to get back to SEAL team three. I'm trying to get back on, on a real deployment, like a combat deployment. And eventually I just lost that battle. Like it just didn't happen. I still went on deployment and more in a very fulfilling deployments and more of intelligence operations roles. Um, but that was hard. And then, and then I, suffered another kind of setback, which was having to get out of the Navy. You know, the Navy finally realized I couldn't see that well. And they're like, you just can't deploy anymore. Right. You're not supposed to be here. Um, but you know what? That's the that's the path God sets you on and then you end up here. Right. That's exactly right. And, Never and would have met Candace Owens right. otherwise. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. See, yeah, God just been works in, from in afar. very mysterious yeah. ways. <laughs> and so what I always find interesting is when you see people that, you know, give so much for their country, you and your circumstance and I, um, and uh, you come back to this country and this country doesn't appreciate being this country. And, and by the way, I don't want to put words in your mouth. My sense and my feeling is that the left is hostile towards America. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I mean that. And burning the flag and, and, um, and talking about America like we're this horrible, racist, xenophobic, awful place to live when I think that America is one of the greatest nations, on our, the greatest nation um, on earth. What is that like for someone like you? Do you agree with that assessment? Do you think I'm being a little too harsh? No, no, that 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 is the the fundamental line in the sand of the culture war right now. There's a lot of different fronts to the many culture wars that we have. Like, you know, like guns are one of them, right? Like, there's no like people who like guns because that's part of it. That's actually always been there, though. This is a new one. Um, th this is and this is really problematic. Like, it it really is. And, you know, you have presidential candidates saying that America was founded on genocide and white supremacy and, like, mm. we should just be ashamed of ourselves. Like, any imperfection or sin that America's ever committed means that all of America must be indicted. This is, this is This is the new talking point here. And you're always trying to, like, wonder where this comes from. And um, the way I analyze this is I, I think it's I think it's the, the new up-and-coming kind of victimhood culture, right, the victimhood hierarchies that we see. So what does that result in? Well, at first it results in you just blaming somebody else. Maybe it's your parents, maybe it's your boss, somebody else for your misfortune. But then that's not enough, so you need to blame another group. Okay, so now we get into identity politics, right, where you're like pitting different groups against each other. Mm -hmm. Well, then that's not enough. You gotta blame an institution. So we start to tear down our institutions, right? Like, I mean, the electoral college, for instance, like everything is bad, it's all wrong. You know, we, we didn't, we didn't, we, we were wrong. Our founding fathers were misinformed. It was a different time. We shouldn't like that stuff anymore. And then those institutions, well, they're part of America. So then you start just indicting the entire country. Right. And what are the symbols that 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 embody that country? Well, it's the flag, and it's the national anthem, and it's the Pledge of Allegiance. So you start attacking those things too. Right. You start attacking Christian values because we know that our country was founded on a Judeo-Christian history. You know, whether you believe in God or not, it's, it's just an undeniable fact. Like it's just how how our, our principles came to be. So you start attacking all these things, but it all emanates from that sort of that, that victimhood oppressed oppressor ideology. And I, and I think that's where it comes from. I, I, I'm not sure how else to explain it. Um, you know, but what, what, how do you feel when it's, you see the headlines are just, they can no longer stand for the flag. It's just, I can't even stand the idea of the American yeah. flag. I mean, I, and I'm sure you have the assessment that it's their right, right? I mean, it's, it's your right. You really, yeah. you really don't have to stand for the American flag. But what is your assessment of that? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of just uh, disgusts me right. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I, I don't get mad about it. I, my, one of my thoughts too, because um, I try to be positive. One of my thoughts is that's a losing argument. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Like it's your your average your average liberal and Democrat is still not okay with that, 
You know, they now I I don't think I think they excuse it a little bit too much, mm-hmm. but they're still not that's still not who they are. Oh, that's interesting. You know? That's interesting. And so so like, you think that that's more of an extreme left thing where they don't have respect for the flag is I would actually if you had asked me, I'd say that's the average liberal liberal assessment now because they've somehow tied that into police brutality and and into this idea of racism. I mean, av- I would say it's far left burning the flag. Right. Yeah. But having no respect for the flag and thinking that it's heroic to kneel for the flag, I would put that at an average liberal assessment now. It's it's, it's hard. It kind of depends what part of the country you're in, too. That's true. And so, you know, liberals in Texas are, are different from Connecticut, New York, too. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I meet a lot of them, obviously. I think I, I, th- I think in, in, in your line of work, you, you, pro- you, you tend to deal, the extremes come at you pretty right. hard. yeah. And they come at me, too. But I also meet a lot of normal, just regular Americans on the left and the right. And so I'm, I have a little bit more hope. Mm-hmm. And I kind of have to have more hope. Otherwise. What are you doing? Yeah. Right. Like this is, then we're really screwed. Um, and I just don't want to believe that, frankly, about a lot of Americans. And I think I'm right. At least in, I'm also from Houston. So, um, you know, we still talk to each other in Houston. Liberals and conservatives still live together really normally and regularly. Uh, you know, I have some angry people at the town halls, but not that angry. Like it's, it's just, it's nothing like it would be if I were, if I were doing a town hall in the middle of San Francisco, I, I think. So I've, I have a little bit more hope. Um, but the, but again, the problem is that your moderate, your moderate liberal is still excusing it too much. Mm-hmm. They're still rationalizing it too much. Like they'll, they'll say, well, you know, that's just a fringe or it's just, um, it's uh, they don't actually hate America. They just want the, the best for America. And I'm right. like, ah, is that what you say about your spouse? Like you don't like something about them and you just want to fundamentally change them? Right. <laughs> like, is that what love is, guys? Right. Like, yeah. ah, I don't know. Um, no, like we, we, we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater, right? Like, we, of course, we've, we have some imperfections. Of course, we have to talk about our sins. Like, but, but it doesn't define us. Right. And so and this is the confusion that they have. And what what moderate liberals don't realize is that they're being taken advantage of by this fringe left. Hundred percent, I agree. By the leftists, Mm -hmm. and like, and it's also why I don't excuse my colleagues who are moderate liberals. Like, if it was just me and these moderate Democrats in a room trying to figure out policy, I I think they're open to what I have to say. But the problem is, is that they're, you know, they're on they're wearing blue jerseys and they're easily persuaded by the far left, and that's because. Generally speaking, being a moderate Democrat these days, you, you don't – it's not clear what principles they actually abide by. Right. They kind of go to Congress like, I want to be pragmatic. I want to work with people. Uh, I want to do good things. I want to do nice things for people. Okay, well, you're right. I understand that. We all do. But like what are the foundational principles that you abide by when you're problem solving? Right. Because that really matters. And here's the thing. When, when your principles are basically, well, I want to I I tackle injustice. I want to tackle inequality. Well, those are not really definable terms. I mean, we kind of know what they are, but there's really no limits to those. You can't really like put those in a problem solving box. Whereas, or as when we solve a problem, we ask certain questions like more liberty, less liberty, limited government, too much government, local control, Washington bureaucratic control, dependency on government or, or more freedom from government and like self empowerment. You know, we, we ask really important questions, right. I think, as conservatives. Right. And that's, that's a form of governance that's really important. If you don't have that, you're really it's really easy to convince you that these extremist policies and this extremist rhetoric is the right way to do the good things. That's correct. And so I think that's that's why like I don't I don't indict everybody every moderate with this sort of American hating nonsense, but I also don't excuse them because like what they're doing or, or what they're believing or their lack of beliefs really 
is, is allowing that to occur. And like, I, I want to tell them like, you know, you're actually more on our side, right. you know, like let's, 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 let's box this off, you right. know, let's box off this extremism, this American hating stuff. And uh, let's go back to having a normal conversation. Well, I think it, I think it's hard to have the courage to stand up, right? Even if you, if you are a more moderate Dem right now, it's hard when, mm -hmm. as you've mentioned, the conversation has been seized and it's been so polarizing. And so I have this theory that in terms of the socialism that's, that seems to be breeding uh, in this country, I think that there are two types of socialists, somebody who's evil or somebody who's stupid. I don't think there's <laughs> anything in between, right? You either yeah. know exactly what socialism is and you're trying to bring America towards it, or you genuinely have no idea what socialism is and it just sounds good, right? So I actually have a chapter in my book on, on truth versus goodness, right? Mm. Um, and it, it becomes very easy for people that believe in goodness to be sold socialism because it's just, it sounds good. I mean, yeah. I mean why, if I was sitting here, I said, everything should be free, like a four-year-old, ask right. a four-year-old how the world should be run. Everything, they think everything is free. Right. A four-year-old uh, are all socialists. Moderate liberal wants right. to do nice things. <laughs> they want to do nice things. Yeah. It feels good, right? And then, and, and then I think there's also a, another layer of this, which is, which is shame, which you find a lot of people that come from wealthy families and didn't earn that wealth themselves and they yeah. inherited it, tend to be driven towards socialism because they feel guilty about their wealth. Now, you yeah. start to feel guilty about your yeah. wealth if you didn't actually earn your wealth. I think that's that's another element of it. Um, but, but then you have these people who I'm convinced, and I mentioned this to you earlier, like, is it possible that they don't know what socialism is? And you get to Bernie Sanders, mm -hmm. like Bernie Sanders is different from AOC. She's young. I genuinely don't think she's a bad person. Um, I, I think that she is maybe a little addicted to, to the popularity of saying things that are crazy and wild. And yeah. she's and maybe um, lying about people and insulting them a little too yeah. much. I oh, right, right. You're the one that's giving all your friends the guns, yeah. right? Are to, you my you, friend? Yeah. Are you also a domestic? <laughs> have you been hurting your... Your new husband? That was weird. That was just weird, actually. Was... I'm blocked, so I couldn't follow it. She blocked me. <laughs> she blocked but she blocked me yeah, after I, I mimicked her her photo shoot at the border. But um, I did I did follow that in the press, and I went, wait, wait, Dan Crenshaw's not being arbitrarily accused of just giving that out was... guns to his wife abuse. I mean, it was totally, was so totally ridiculous. insane. But well, that's that's the addiction. That's the element of like yeah. I'm addicted to just having a moment. And yeah. she, she knows you're a good guy. There's no question. If if she was hooked up to a lie detector test and somebody asked her, right. do you think Dan Crenshaw Crenshaw is giving guns to his friends or abusing his wives, yeah. she would it's, have to say, no, I do not believe that. The interesting thing about that, I want to hit all the other things you said, but the interesting thing about that is she's actually being intellectually consistent. If you're going to make an argument for universal background checks, you have to assume that everybody's friends that they might transfer guns to are actually criminals. Right. You have to make that assumption if you're going to. So it actually what she actually did was expose the the fault in the argument for universal background checks in that moment. She did. Because she has to assume that my friends are bad people in order to make a good argument for universal background checks. That's exactly right. So and I mean, she's, she's, a, she's a true socialist, but I don't think she's a bad, I, I know this sounds so weird to say, I don't think she knows what right. socialism is, bizarrely. And, and so that that is that is backed up by the data too. And so we've, we've seen some polling where you ask a lot of people, are you in favor of socialism? And they'll say like overwhelmingly, you know, 50 something percent, yes. Then you also get a huge uh, majority saying, uh, answering yes to the question, do you want less government intervention in your life? And then they say yes. Yeah, and you're like, whoa, okay, so well, this is interesting. This mm -hmm. is good news and bad news. Okay, so the good news is they want less government intervention in their lives, so they're more aligned with us. The bad news is is that they're using definitions in a freewheeling kind of way. Right. You know? And so like, and this is, this, is, this is what we have to figure out as conservatives, and I'm slowly trying to figure this out. It's like, how, how do these moderate liberals, um, you know, these, I call them default Democrats, right? Like they don't, they're not super involved in politics, they're living their life, but they, they just kind of vote Democrat. 
Like, you know, it just makes them feel good. So they do that. And then, and then they view their personal life as living a liberal lifestyle. Okay, they have LGBT friends. You know, like, it's it's not a big deal to them. They don't understand why Republicans are, are, are against LGBT people, even though we're, I don't think we are at all. Especially our generation. Like, we're just not. Just don't it's care. just It's just not at all. Anyway, but that's so... But they define these terms differently than we do. Okay, see, we... Like, I think of a progressive, I think of like Woodrow Wilson progressivism and how that's and how that's um, transformed over time. But it's like a centralized uh, economy uh, down with the Constitution. I mean, he hated the Constitution. You know, Woodrow Wilson was like was like an indicting journalist for speaking out against the government. People forget about this stuff. This is the heart of the of the progressive movement. Like he was a terrible president. Um, so that's what I think of. Right. But then. Oh, so but let me give you an example in Houston. Uh, we do events at this place. And I remember uh, talking to one of the ladies who worked there and we were just chatting. She obviously knows who I am. She knows my politics. She doesn't hate me. You know, she's about our age, I guess, maybe even younger, covered in tattoos. And I was like, hey, cool tattoos. And she's like, yeah, well, I'm very progressive. So I like tattoos. <laughs> and I was like, what? You know, like how? And so interesting, like you connect progressivism to tattoos, but I don't. Right. And so, and so if you hear me bashing progressives, you're going to think I'm I'm yelling at you. You're going to think that I'm talking about you, but I'm not. Right. You know, and so that's interesting. Like, so here's the thing. It's like if you're a young person and you like tattoos and, 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 and maybe you like smoking pot and maybe you have a lot of gay friends and you think that's fine and it is. Uh, and you like to go backpacking through India and you'd like to do yoga with baby goats and all the we're like cool liberal stuff. Right. And like, so, yeah, you're a liberal, I, I guess. Or, no, maybe you're personally liberal. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're politically left leaning. Okay. And that's the distinction we have to make. That's and correct. so, and so because, because they, they think socialism can be like, I don't know, social stuff. I, I honestly really don't know how they define it. Sometimes it's the point is, is that everybody defines it differently. Right. And we have to be cognizant of that because we don't want to alienate people uh, when actually they agree with us on just on a lot more stuff than we realize. Well, that's my critique of the right. When I say that the, the right doesn't embrace culture, I've seen this over and over again. And when I first got into doing politics, believe it or not, when I first started making YouTube videos and I was taking satirical stabs and I was using humor and I was acting and, and it was, uh, it's our first video. It's one of our yeah, favorites. Yeah. I mean, really. <laughs> and I remember that one of the first people that wrote a hit piece about me, it wasn't Buzzfeed. It was a national review. It said, this hmm. is a sort of theatrics that we should reject and we uh. need to be serious. We need to be austere. And you know, this is obviously, I'm not, this is one journalist wrote this, right? I'm not no. saying this is like the national review's opinion, but I just, I, I remember sitting there thinking, really? So is yeah. being fun liberal? Yeah. Is being funny liberal? And that's where people are getting these ideas from. So we have that's to sort of work to reverse that. It's okay to, we, we, we like people that are funny. It's okay yeah. to use humor to deliver a point. I thought what you, like what you done at SNL was absolutely brilliant. And it was, so it was brilliant. good. It was, it was, I'm so brilliant, <laughs> but it was good for conservatives. It shows we can be funny, right? Um, yeah. And we don't take ourselves so seriously. And, and there definitely needs to be more of a push for that. But I want to hold you back to the question because I don't forget anything. Do you think when we are talking about older people that are talking about socialism, mm -hmm. that that, oh, that yeah. Bernie is a guy that's getting on stage and he's saying that stuff, is he coming from a place of general, of genuine goodness? Or is there something that's a little more nefarious going on? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. It's like, I, I think he believes in his utopianism, you know, and he thinks that's ultimately good. Um, but I also think he's not stupid. He's not stupid. So I think he knows that there's a, a severe amount of pain that Americans would have to feel in order to get to this supposed utopianism. Now, of course, I don't think you ever get to that utopianism. But right? he must know that. You would think. See, that's, that's There's the, no history of the utopianism. Right. And it's so like that's 
And, and so this is the part where like, we're not sure if he's really thought this out that well. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to say without like really digging into him. Right. Um, you know, because now, yeah, I mean, it's just because on, on one hand, you're like, is he, does he think he's talking about, you know, the Nordic countries? Mm. And we can debunk that pretty quick, pretty right? Quickly. Because the things he's talking about, the Nordic countries just don't do. I mean, they have a flatter tax system than we do. People don't realize that they have a they have a you know a less market regulations than we do. They're they're considered by some to be a more free market economy than we are, right? They tax everybody at a higher rate, and then they redistribute that wealth. They also have more homogenous societies. They just have different they have different issues to deal with. Um, and, and if anything, they've moved away from their socialist policies. So he must know that. That's what I'm saying. But like, so it, it's an honest question, and, and I'm not really given a good answer because I just I can't read the guy's mind. Um, I think he's thought through this a lot more, and he believes it a lot more than somebody like AOC. Um, he's just he's too he's too old not to know what socialism breeds. Right. He he he. Somebody in his office, right, or in his multiple homes, has researched socialism. Yeah. We know what it breeds, but I think this is kind of the first time that he's been given so much power by yeah. saying these things, and I think that. We are human beings, right? And and that becomes the draw, where it becomes even even with in the face of overwhelming evidence, he says these things and he brings it to America because he just loves that feeling of when he's in the room and people are cheering him on, and those people tend yeah. to be younger. And I, and I do, I, I excuse people that are really young and they're wearing these shirts for socialism because I know that yeah. it's very easy to sell socialism to people that have no real life experience. Yeah. Give me free stuff. Exactly, yeah. give me free stuff. But when you get to someone that's a lot older like him, I question his motives. Yeah. I question oh, well, his you goals. Should. It's power. I mean, the motives are power. And so the Marxism is inherently divisive. Like you're, you're pitting socioeconomic groups against each other. That's that's the essence of Marxism, right? Um, it's evolved since then. And so the Ameri so it's like this kind of sort of socialist or, or has an identitarian. I think Dinesh D'Souza comes up with this term and I forget exactly what it is, but it's like identitarian socialism or something. So it's a combination of Marxism and identity politics. So you've moved those identity groups into, into race, into gender, into all that, and socioeconomic. And that's, that's, that's what they're doing. But in the end, it's just pitting groups against each other, promising them power over each other. That's, that's the worst part of identity politics. You're promising one group power over another. Reparations. Yeah, that's a good example. Um, even, you know, minimum wage. Like you're promising laborers power over their employers, mm -hmm. right? It's every, you can almost, you can almost put every policy into that category of like, who's, who's getting, gaining power out of this? You know, like Alex de Tocqueville famous quote was, the, the, the republic ends when politicians realize they can bribe people with their own money. Mm. That's basically, oh, and that's I basically, love that. and that's basically what's happening. Right. And, I, and I tell young people all the time, like, do not be bought off by false promises. Mm -hmm. The easiest thing in the world for me as a politician is to, is to just promise you stuff. I'm going to make you happier. I'm going to make your life better. If you just elect, if you just give me power, I will make this happen for you. This is, this is a terrible promise to make, all right? Because, because the politician knows they can't do it. And so what do you create? I mean, you create a bunch of people who are unhappy because they thought that they're, they were going to be happier because they elected their, their candidate and then they weren't happier, right? Their problems still persisted because the politician told them they would solve those problems. In the end, you have to solve your own problems. That's just how it works. I mean, the government exists to, to make you, make it, make you able to solve your own problems. Like we have to create a stable structure where your rights are protected. Uh, where your freedoms are protected, but you have to thrive within that system. I mean, that's what America was built on. Uh, you, you try to expand it too much beyond that, like we run into really unstable territory. And, that, and that's, that's effectively the battle between the right and the left. 
But worse than all that, I mean, you create a really unhappy, divided people. You create a resentful people. The other thing that happens is you keep having to promise more stuff. Okay, so this gets back to the conversation of how does a moderate liberal turn into a socialist? Well, it always does, eventually, because a moderate liberal is always promising things. I want to make you happier. I just, I really want, and, and they're genuine, right? Like they're mm -hmm. well-intentioned. I want to make your life better. And I'm just going to do whatever stuff it takes. They have more money than you. I'll just, I'll take some of that money. They don't need all that money. I'll just give it to you. Right? And that's how the promises start. But then, and, and, and then that's how you get a progressive tax system. And that's how you get a lot the, the massive welfare state that we have. Right. But it's not enough. Because how are you going to win the next election? You got to promise more stuff. Mm -hmm. That's how we get here, right? And that's, that's what we're seeing right now. It's, that's how it's, we get from welfare to all out reparations right Re welfare as, as this like means the 1960s confiscation. I mean, right it's, it's, i mean this and it gets it, it's crazy and, and i talk about this obviously exclusively almost exclusively about black america because that is that is my focus you know mm -hmm. being someone that came from nothing and sort of watching so many members of my family uh bite from that apple of of welfare and yep. seeing that their lives never got any better right and and i i want to get people out of this trap of realizing that the, the promising doesn't actually amount to anything in the end if you don't get up on your and stop believing in government and start believing in yourself and yeah. say you know what, I don't need the handouts. I need opportunities. Yeah. I need hand ups, right? I need to know that there, that there are jobs. So I don't need to take welfare from you. I need I need an economic system that actually works. And, yeah. and it's such a struggle because, and, and, and particularly just kind of veering here into black America, I just don't see what else can be promised. Now it's just like free money, like forget everything else. It's like right. reparations. And I I almost want to say, let's explore this. Because they ran out of promises. They ran out of promises. They did. Yeah. Like, this is the natural <laughs> progression. Like there's no choice to it. It's like it's really dangerous stuff. And like I said, I would only on my worst enemies would I wish the state of mind where you are dependent on somebody else, where you're like you don't own your own destiny, you know. And I always wonder, like, why do you want me to remind you of how bad you have it? Is that what you want from me as a politician? Do you want me to remind you of how bad things are? Is that will that make you happy? I don't want to do that. I don't think it's necessarily true. Like, why would I do that? And why would I wish that state of disempowerment on you? You know, like personal, we always talk about personal responsibility as conservatives, and we should, but we don't always delve into why that matters. And, and here's why. I mean, it's because personal responsibility means you are in charge of your own destiny. If you're not personally responsible, by definition, you are waiting on somebody else to be responsible for you. That is disempowerment, right? Because you're waiting, you know, and, and, you're, and, and if, they, if they're not responsible for you, then you're going to tell the politician that you want them to be responsible for you. Like, why shouldn't they? They have more stuff, mm. you know? And so... You know, we get into this sort of coveting thy neighbor. I mean, this is, you can always go back to the, the, the biblical standards to, to really understand like what is right and wrong and how we should live if we want to be happy. But put that aside for a second. It's just, I think, it's basic common sense. Like personal responsibility really matters. And you're either empowered or you're disempowered. And to be disempowered is to be, I think, depressed. Um, to to not have any control over your destiny, and I just wouldn't wish that state of and mind to be on anybody. Angry. They, yeah, it, it, of course. It, it relies upon a perpetual state of anger and misery, uh, to constantly be pointing the finger and looking at someone else to be mad at, waiting for somebody to give you the orders of who you should be upset about because of your own situation. Mm -hmm. And I and I know that because I've I've gone through those those pained existences for for years of my life. I mean, I did I I did I, I've gone through years where I was like, it's it's external forces. There's nothing yeah. internal that can help me. It's because I started my life without money. It's because my family didn't. Have have any money. Um, my family didn't have any money because I'm a black American, because I took $100,000 out in student loans, which is how I started my life. So I, I've done that path of, of yeah. blaming external forces. Yeah. And let me tell you how much better it feels to say, you know what, actually, 
I'm in the driver's seat of my life. I kind of made some mistakes, but I can fix mm -hmm. this. Yeah. And if everyone could just get a sample of that, a sample of how good it feels to actually be responsible for yourself and how quickly your life will change if you just change your mindset. Right. I mean, this America would change tomorrow, and if we didn't have these politicians that were that were selling this like a drug, you know, it is just, like a drug. It, it is a drug. It really yeah. is. Blame somebody else. It's not your fault. Um, you should have no shame, no guilt. Everything is somebody else's fault. America could be in a better circumstance than it is today. Yeah. And not talking about which is something I want to get to the Green New Deal. Oh yeah. You what work are you doing with that? Let's talk about the Green New <laughs> Deal because, well, first and foremost, it is hilarious, and I think that we have to take a moment to just appreciate. She gives us the best farting cow. Things. That's all I'm going to say. She gives us the best things. And they worked hard about. on the best things, just so you know. So please do I not know. mock the farting cows. They worked hard. They, yeah. You know, there's a saying we have in the military, and it's like, work smarter, not harder. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, that would have that been some good advice on the Green New Deal. Hours and hours. I remember yeah. watching that, reading that tweet. We worked hours and hours <laughs> on this. So many people. should have worked a little longer. Right. <laughs> you should have done a little bit more research. Yeah. So um, but it doesn't mean we don't need a response because the reality is, is that liberals and conservatives alike, they we, we actually all care about the environment. And, um, and and most people believe in climate change and believe that, that mankind has something to do with that. How much is, is scientifically debatable? But um, but there there is some effect. Right. And we all have an interest in reducing carbon emissions, just having cleaner air, cleaner oceans. I, it's, it's, it's something we can get behind. Um, young people, especially conservatives, liberals like they really want to hear that message. OK, but the. But the question is, how do we get there without destroying our economy? So the Green New Deal fundamentally destroys our economy and does a lot of other weird stuff, too. I mean, basically, it's just a wish list of socialist utopias, as was admitted by AOC's um, chief of staff. But but fundamentally, it's a, it's a dogmatic approach to environmentalism, which is solar and wind. Everything has to be solar and wind. There can't be anything else, including nuclear. When you start banning nuclear, like that's how you know they're not serious about climate change, because... I mean, it's like when you think about, like, wow, if we can only find an energy source where it's like just a rock, and if we sort of heat up that rock, right. it just creates like basically energy for 25 years and doesn't emit any carbon emissions. Like, oh man, I wish we had that. Oh yeah, we oh, do. We We've do. had it for like a long yeah. time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but but you know, but it makes environmentalists crazy for some reason. Chernobyl, uh, and, I think, because yeah. it's the only it's the only reference point they have. Right, and it, which is strange because it's like. We've used nuclear so much. Uh, I mean, geez, in the military, we put it on a submarine and it you know, goes, you know, well below sea level and um, goes to war. And uh, we're, we're OK with having a nuclear reactor on that. So, I mean, obviously it can work. And there's some really cool new um, uh, technology innovations on, on miniaturizing it and just making it more plausible and feasible and cheaper uh, for us to use. So that's one part of it. The, the, the point is, is that our approach has to be a common sense approach. It has to be developing newer, cleaner technology. Uh, that helps our economy and also helps the world. So this is the way I like to phrase it. Uh, we want to focus on 100% of the problem. Mm -hmm. And you can only focus on 100% of global emissions if you have technology that is exportable, clean, reliable, and cheap. Uh, if you want to just focus on 15% of the problem, which is what the U.S. emits as far as a, a global share of, of carbon emissions, then yeah, destroy our economy. Destroy our economy and yeah, you'll, you'll erase 15% of emissions and guess what? You'll do nothing. Right. Like you'll accomplish nothing. Like the, the, the effects of climate change are this is the other part of the conversation is like they're, they're, they're baked in to a large extent. So we have to be talking about mitigation. Okay, if, if sea levels are rising, well, the wonderful thing about that is well, it's not wonderful, but we can predict it. Like it, it's not like the day after tomorrow. It's not like these tsunamis are going to wash. Like guys, like we can we can deal with this. Let's not destroy our economy before and then also still have to deal with it. Right. Like, you know, let's let's take a measured approach to this. So, you know. 
it's like you can debate all day long how much humans have to do with climate change. In the end, it doesn't matter. What does matter is the solutions we're proposing and what the effect of those solutions on the problem will actually be. So that's something we can actually predict a little bit better. Okay. I and mean, by their own data, you know, again, you destroy the US economy and stop all emissions, really minuscule effect. China and India are, are by far the bigger polluters and they're continuing to be. How do you stop that? Well, for instance, if you, the DOE did some uh, studies on this. I think if you, if you changed out China's coal burning plants with natural, like US natural gas, you'd reduce global emissions by like 40%. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't I mean, know that. Natural gas is the reason, and our fracking, oh my God, they hate fracking, right? Okay, well, how do you think, how do you think the US has, has, has decreased global, or our emissions by like 15% since the year 2000? Natural gas. Right. A little bit of regulation here and there, but, it, but it's, it's, it's natural gas mostly. Um, because it's, I think it emits maybe half, probably less than half of, of what just um, oil would, would emit if you're producing electricity. So that's a big part of it. And, but you can even go beyond that. Like you can have carbon capture technology where you have net zero emissions. So we actually have a power plant outside of Houston. Um, it's, in La, it's in La Porte. It's called uh, Net Power. Okay, so they take in natural gas, they, they create electricity from it, then they capture that carbon, and then they power the plant with it. So it has net zero emissions and it's a fossil fuel. The thing is, they just don't like fossil fuels. Right. Right. That's, that's, they it's, don't. It's, I mean, it's that's a dogmatic right. approach Unless to you it. say sun, wind, air, like yeah. they're not interested. Yeah. They love these like rare Green earth minerals. sounding things. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Really, like you could that sell is. that bottle of water that you're drinking if you just make it sound right. That's true. Well, they don't mind. They, they just really don't like the straws. Right. The straws <laughs> really have them going, but it's true. And, and I think that they actually, they lack any depth or understanding of the topics regarding fossil fuel. Yeah. They don't understand, uh, obviously, the way that it affects the geopolitical game, which is also, as you said, very, very important to understand well, it gets back to depleting our, question. our economy. Do you like do you like being a world yeah. power? Would you, do you not want to be that? Do you want to be run by Russia and China? I mean, those are some basic questions to ask some of these environmentalists. Yeah. But what is the solution? What is the answer for, for conservatives to the Green New Deal? Because as you said, we can mock it all we want. Yeah. But well, well, it's investing in carbon capture technology like this. I, I, I had a bill out um, we dropped a few weeks ago. Senator Cornyn, uh, Texas senator, uh, put the same one through the Senate. It's called the Leading Act. It's just it, it repurposes some grant money in the Department of Energy to to give to pilot programs and investments and in, in research and development in carbon capture technology for specifically natural gas. So that's one first step. There's a lot of other bills out there that, that look at nuclear, right? So it's an all above approach. Like our approach, again, our approach is 100% of the problem. Their approach is 15% of the problem. Entrepreneurship to me right. is always the answer. And I think I think we got we do, we should have some money that's being given to the Elon Musks of the world. I mean, that that's the way yep. that it happens. I mean, the, he's thinking forward, he's thinking of ways that we can change the game. And if you if you if you made it a challenge and you and you got mm -hmm. a bunch of kids that are into that stuff, kind of trying to figure out how to develop something that makes everybody happy, it would do a lot better than people yep. just screaming at each other on opposite sides of the aisle. And, and that's true. The other thing we have to, it's not just carbon emissions, right? Like we, as conservatives, we, let's talk about conservation. That's mm. always been a very conservative part of, of our platform, right? Um, you know, cause it, it just, I mean, we like nature. Like we, we can't pretend like we don't like nature and we want it all developed over. That's just not true. So let's talk about those things. Let's talk about how to have cleaner water. Let's talk about how to have cleaner oceans. Let's talk about the overfishing problems that we have globally. It's not really the United States doing that, but 
Asian countries are. Mm -hmm. like, let's focus on some tangible things that, that we all agree on. That we can get behind to yeah. show people on the left that right. we're not these people that are just like, you know, see a tree and want to burn it down, which I think is kind of yeah. the narrative that's yeah, out there. We is. just, we hate the environment. They're very good at labeling us. Right. Like, it's bizarre. And then we just kind of let it happen. And what's really funny is they the don't defense. spend any time in nature as a rule, these sort of like the, these cities, right? You know, right. like you get these people from the Bronx telling us that, that they care more about the environment. Yeah. The and maybe, maybe that's why they're freaking out about it. <laughs> yeah. Because, because they don't see the beauty of America. It's like, you know, they don't, they don't go on these hunting trips, you right. know, where you're out in the wilderness for days at a time. You just never see another human being. They don't realize it's like, they don't realize it exists. Right. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's part of it. In, in the end, it's, it's this strange obsession with solar and wind. they really like, they really Sounds like the good, idea of, solar. they love the idea right. of mining like these, these rare earth minerals and, and you know, yeah. and, 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 which is a whole problem in and of itself. And then clearing lots of land to put these solar panels on. I mean, so there's like, there's real environmental problems with doing what they want to do. And right. there's, it's also just impossible to create an energy grid with current technology based on what they want. So that's the other. So what's issue. your goal? Goal? Yeah. Where's Dan Crenshaw in 10 years? Oh, uh, well, we kind of, you're trying to bring us back to that first question, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. A <laughs> yeah. little bit. Um, well, my answer is Stubborn. kind of the same. I mean, it's like to, to get into politics, you need one of three things okay one is you need to be independently wealthy two you have to know people who are wealthy or three you just have a really crazy window of opportunity so that was me i had the third thing window of opportunity um to move forward it's still about windows of opportunity you know i i don't think it's healthy mentally speaking to map out a political career mm, i agree um, with that it's 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 probably detrimental to your health <laughs> And uh, it's not realistic. And uh, so, you know, I, I think somebody in my position, they, you know, they'll, they'll generally look to, to, to pursue leadership in the House, uh, move on to a Senate run. Uh, maybe some people would run for governor. I don't know. You know, it's, it's, it's any number of things, but it it's really depends on where the winds are at that moment and, and where voters are. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of stuff. It's my honest answer. I'm not messing with you. No, I, <laughs> like, I, I believe you. I totally <laughs> believe you. Are you optimistic or pessimistic about the direction that America is treading into right now? You can tell me the truth. <laughs> You no, know, one's, no I, one's watching. Yeah, I think a lot of people are watching. <laughs> are we on a podcast right now? <laughs> um, I was like, gosh, it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, it's a little bit of both. Uh, uh, Policy-wise, under this administration, I'm optimistic, um, but it, but as a culture, I'm very pessimistic. Right? It's like it's like why you're writing your book. It's why I'm writing my book because um, it's so important that we kind of get back on track with some really basic values that are good. You know, uh, personal responsibility being among them, politeness being among them, like not being emotionally outraged over every single thing being among them, mental toughness being among those. Like, those are the cultural issues that I'm so worried about, um, that I see is slipping away from us. And when I see people just hating America just for the sake of argument, basically, and just like the sense of ingratitude for what we have, it's like, you know, if, if you want to define conservatism in many ways, it's like gratitude. Gratitude for how we got here and like the principles that got us here, the policies that got us here, the form of governance that got us here. There's some gratitude for that, you know, because, because when we see a, when we see that fence in the middle of the forest, we don't just tear it down. Like we ask a question, why is that fence there? Like, wh why, why do we do things the way we do? Why is the electoral college the way it is? You know, the left is just like, ah, oh, it's bad. It's old. It's bad. You know, I've got a better idea. You, you didn't even look at the old ideas yet. 
you didn't realize that you're not the first one to think of these things, you know, like let's have some humility and let's have some gratitude. And I think that's, that's, those are good attributes of conservatism that we need to remember. And sometimes I think we forget them a little bit too, but, right. but uh, that, that's fundamentally what it means. Well, look, I'll say this. I think America has a lot to learn from you. I think I have a lot to learn from you. Maybe I won't yell so much on Twitter. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, I. Yes, I will. Dana. It's kind of your brain. Right, right. It's kind yeah, of your brain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a fun. I mean, look, look, let's let's give. I'm going to give you a comment. I mean, you do it in a sophisticated way. You're making a point. Yeah. And when when we, especially you, and you probably mentor a lot of young activists. You know, help, we got to help with them up. We got to up our level of sophistication. We always have to be more sophisticated than the left, right? They get away with it. We don't. And um, and you know. We've got to make the right arguments. We have to think deeply about what those counter arguments are and like what we're saying and how we're acting. Like, don't, you know, let's not just do the viral video for the sake of the viral video. Let's not do what the left does. Right. Like, let's still be cool and fun and interesting and funny. You know, to your point earlier about like, about how you kind of got popular, like that, that's all good. And, and, and I disagree with, and, and I, and I do see that from sort of the old guard of conservatives, guard. right? Uh, like no, no, we should be serious and 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 and, and well spoken. Yes, we should, um, but we can combine these things. We can combine the cool, fun, hip stuff with some serious sophistication. Um, and it, we do have a problem with some activists only doing the, the the cool, hip stuff that's just like fun and viral. Like I, you know, we should be careful about that. Right. If we just help them with sophistication, we're going to be like unstoppable. I totally agree. Well, we wrap up every episode by allowing you to leave a video message for the world because every single person in the world watches the Candace Owens show. Every single person. Every yeah, single person. That is that is a truth. Well, I do. Yes, I, it's, yeah. it's not. I'm not <laughs> exaggerating. So you're going to look into that camera and you're going to okay. leave a two minute message. Two minutes. You can you can go a little shorter, but if you get close to two minutes, then so you, much you win already. a prize. Uh, on your mark, <laughs> get set. World, I give you Dan Crenshaw. All right. Conservatism, I think, means gratitude and humility. And I would say this. Uh, you're a young person. You're watching the Candace Owens show. Do not be bought off by the false promises of big government. That's how our generation survives, right? That's how our generation makes our mark. That's how we, that's how we bring back those, those foundational truths of freedom and limited government that made our country so great you know this idea that you are in control of your own destiny and that you can pursue your happiness as long as government gets out of your way when you, when you have an autobiography one day i'm totally going to get a signed copy but for now i have my cartoon that's a wrap Thank you guys for watching the latest episode of The Candace Owens Show. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. As many of you guys already know, PragerU is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. I would really appreciate your support.